Welcome to Fail Architecture Breeze Blocks. We're ready to share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters, and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name is Maria Mazzanti. I am an editor on Fail Architecture's Amsterdam team, and I am here with Chiara Dorbulo. She's a senior editor at Amsterdam team as well. And today we are going to discuss the special series edition, A City of Our Own. Basically, this series functions as an open call for articles with a subject or topic that Fail Architecture editors find relevant. So A City of Our Own was started by Chiara, and what we want to do today is to present it and give an overview here in BrizBlocks. Hello, Chiara. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Maria. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I would like to ask you, what is A City of Our Own about and the main ideas of the articles that you have in the special series? A City of Our Own is a special series, as you already mentioned, and it focuses on the various ways in which the built environment in general, but in particular cities, perpetuate inequality between different sections of society. I think that since I was an editor at Field Architecture, so more than three years ago, I really wanted to create more occasions to discuss feminist themes. And when we started doing special series, I really thought this was a great opportunity because we could uh, issue a goal for articles and we could definitely um, added more feminist perspectives and voices to our platform. We had also recently received two unsolicited pitches on related themes. One was on the architect's model and its role in perpetuating a culture of male privilege and power that we still see in the profession today. And the other one was about this increasing number of online offers for highly discounted rent or even rent for free in exchange for sex or sexual favors. And this last one in particular was a very interesting starting point because it really made us think about ways in which issues of gentrification and, for example, the saturated real estate markets in big cities are connected with feminist issues. This is also why the call for articles quoted from the Manifesto of Feminism for the 99%, we really wanted it to be about this new, open and accessible version of feminism as opposed to um, the mainstream corporate feminism, what some people call the lenient feminism. And um, this also created the perfect opportunity to connect issues of feminism to issues that we already were focusing a lot on our platform, such as unaffordable housing, unacceptable working condition, proper policing, um, climate change, for instance. So the manifesto was useful because it also allowed us to borrow this existing framework to say that the focus of feminism should not be uh, just women's inequality, but it should really be about all forms of inequality and oppressions affecting different categories of people. The aim of the title was to make clear from the title itself that we really wanted to shift the focus from the domestic to the urban sphere. So we uh, were thinking about A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, which was, well, can be considered the first feminist essay in literature. 
and it uses the metaphor of the room to approach the necessity for women to invent a new language to be part of this artistic and societal life that did not include them until that point. The room also represents the necessary material means a woman needs to be able to write and to be creative in general instead of conforming to the role she was assigned to by the patriarchal society. So it was interesting to notice that even when we want to subvert these norms, we still reproduce this dichotomy between the private space of reproduction, which is the domestic sphere, and the public space of production, so the male sphere. So we wanted to play with that in the title, also to stress that now we really need to make a step forward. So the metaphor, but also the means we need are those of the city. So we need to think uh, about feminism at a larger scale. And this was not new, of course. I'm thinking, for example, of uh, Susanna Torre or Jane Randall, among many others, whose works rooted feminism in public space and in the city. But um, in less academic environments, there is still a tendency to conflate feminist spatial analysis with the indoor. Yeah, and we also decided not to call it a city of one's own, but a city of our own, because we really wanted to put some emphasis on this plural perspective and on the fact that feminism should not be about women's issues, as I mentioned before, but about all the people finding themselves at the wrong side of oppression and discrimination. Um, yeah, like an intersectional approach, basically. Yes, exactly, like an intersectional perspective. Yeah, and it was great to see how this was really well picked up by the people who sent us proposals, because most of the pitches we received were not specifically about women's issues, but they were definitely about the ways in which cities and urban space perpetuates oppression and inequality. So that was great. Now that you're touching the pitches, maybe it would be nice to have like a an overview of these published articles of the series, as well as the ones that will be published soon. Okay, so first of all, I want to say that the response was truly overwhelming. We received about 50 proposals, I think, and most of them were great, honestly. So uh, we had to make quite a difficult decision because, uh, I mean, of course we have, as you know, limited funding, so we could only support seven or eight. So we are still in the process of getting all of them published. The first one that we published, it's called Architecture is Yet to Come to Terms with Trans Bodies, written by Joanna Parker. And I think it is so far one of my favorite pieces on failed architecture because of its very personal perspective. It talks about um, how difficult it is today to be a transgender in the architectural field from the perspective of someone who actually transitioned while attending architecture school. So it's very interesting because it talks about from uh, about 
education and theory and public space and building regulation and how in all these aspects of the architectural field, the discipline is still failing to acknowledge the presence of trans bodies in space. Then the second piece is called Claiming Cinematic Space, Agnes Varda's pioneering take on women's urban experience. And it was written by Remy Guerreiro. And it's about, of course, Agnes Varda's films and how um, the female characters are really depicted in the context of the cities that surround them and how that relationship between the characters and the cities really serve to break barriers in feminist spatial discourse. Then the third piece is called How More Security Makes Women and Queer People Feel Less Safe, and it was written by Jess Meyers. And it obviously talks about how the position of women and queer people in public space is not rendered more secure by surveillance control and policing and incarceration. And it actually proposes how real solutions could be found in other fields. And then the other piece about Pakistan has a more historical overview. And it's about how the British invasion of the country has pushed women further back into the domestic sphere and away from the public sphere because it erased what was the traditional domestic architecture which had developed for a long time to respond as much as possible to social and cultural needs of women. Then we have a few pieces that we are still editing. One is um, about collective memory of gender in public space in Pakistan. And it talks about how even though women have fought to liberate themselves and the right to space, the oppression of the dictatorship is still embedded in public space, while basically there is no trace left of this resistance and of this fight. Then we have a piece on Los Angeles, on uh, commons or commoning as a form of resistance to the neoliberal tendencies of the city. And then we have a piece on the use of the automated female sounding voice in public space. Before finishing our conversation, maybe I would like just to direct this final part to your thoughts about this new wave of feminism and how it is related to architectural practice in general. Well, there is definitely an increasing interest in these topics and that's obviously amazing. But I think that architects and spatial practitioners in general still have a hard time connecting what they do, like on our daily professional life with feminism. For example, I was like talking about this series with people in the field and I often was told like, Um, oh, uh, feminism and architecture. So basically, um, it's about public toilets, right? So this is still what we think feminism and space is about, right? Like public toilets. And I think one of the reasons for this is that architecture in particular was born as a male profession and we still tend in a way to judge it with male eyes. Um, and I really don't think that we talk enough about how we need to redefine the profession in a non-patriarchal or non-capitalistic frame. So, for example, there is a lot of talk about visibility of female architects and 
Uh, I mean, also thanks to the Black Lives Matters movement, there's also talks about discrimination in the work environment, about oppression and about intersectionalism. And that's great and necessary, but we never really talk about how everything related to architecture is still based on a male model of success. So, for example, um, the whole idea of competitions and the idea of the lone genius. And the problem with oppression, in my opinion, is that it's so inherently present in how things work that it's basically impossible to fix it, including just more diversity in the workforce. There is also this very important line of criticism to what has been defined as the Zaha trap, in which architecture feminisms tend to fall. So basically you can have visibility in architecture if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, but you have to be at the very top. So of course this is a big issue and generating more visibility for those not at the top is essential. But in my opinion, it's also about reinventing new forms of looking at visibility and success. And you know, like new parameters to decide what and who is at the top. So for example, what if this top is not about prevarication and profit? What if it's not about competitions or um, building more square meters, but it's really about challenging the status quo? So I think at this point, I'm more interested in what could be defined as a feminist practice or a feminist approach and how we can redefine success from a feminist perspective. <music>